Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we pray now for our nation and for its leaders. We ask for their wisdom, uh, that you give them wisdom, that you give them strength to lead us. We pray for your blessing on our valley. We pray that these measures that uh, city and county are taking would be fruitful in protecting the most vulnerable in our community. We pray especially for Sun City Gardens. We do ministry there and other places where there's uh, people that are very vulnerable to this. Lord, we pray you'd protect them. We want to pray together, Lord, as well for for the churches in this valley. I want to pray for uh, Center Church, uh, Pastor Thor over there, and, and they're doing something very similar. We pray for them. We pray for Faith Bible Church Menifee and Jake and the other elders there. We pray for Canyon Lake Community Church and Impact and The View and Revival and Eagle Ridge and all the other churches that are right here in Menifee, Lord. We pray that we, you would make them your light in the valley, and we pray, Lord, that for us as well, that you'd make us a light. Lord, we want to pray for our missionaries as well. We ask that you bless uh, Lorian, who's um, actually joining us right now as we, as we do this, Lord. We pray that you'd be blessing her as she's dealing with even more stringent measures than we're dealing with. Um, And we pray for her as far as the isolation and things that go with um, being kind of in a lockdown. Lord, we pray for Holly and her ministry. And we pray for her as we're hearing there's some kind of anti-American sentiment she's dealing with. Lord, we pray you protect her and, and the girls and Girls House of Refuge. And we pray, Lord, that this would be a great time of repentance and faith in our land. Lord, as you're bringing people to see that their life is a vapor and that you're teaching them to number their days, we ask, Lord, that there be a great revival in the land and around the world. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We want to humbly ask you right now for forgiveness. We have sinned against you. Um, We have sinned against you by um, both commission and omission, Lord, in the things that we've done and the things we left undone. And so right now, Lord, we want to grab a hold of your promise that all who trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And we're just so thankful that his work on the cross removes all our sin. And we want to take hold of that right now and thank you for that forgiveness. And as we open this word, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, may your word be the most savory food and the most refreshing drink to us. We pray that you would do this for your glory, for the glory of your Son. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're in a series uh, called Free to Follow in Exodus, and uh, we've seen how Israel was uh, in slavery in Egypt. We've seen how God preserved baby Moses. We have seen how Pharaoh's daughter had uh, adopted him, and he was raised in royalty. And then we saw how he killed a man and ended up in, as a fugitive uh, for 40 years in the deserts of Midian. And last Sunday, Gabe preached on how God appeared to Moses in that burning bush. And this morning, we're going to kind of carry on from there, and we're going to look at how God called Moses to ministry. We're going to see how how Moses resisted that calling, and we're going to see how God overcame that calling. And this is super relevant to all of us, guys, because we are all called into ministry. Amen? 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a royal priesthood. You've been called to proclaim God's excellencies. All Christians are called to ministry. Ephesians 4 says that God gives pastors not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints, you guys, for ministry. 
If God has called you to salvation, he has called you into ministry. In fact, he's calling you every day. Sometimes we think we need like a burning bush moment, but God calls us to minister every single day. He calls us to speak about Christ, um, maybe to correct a brother or sister, to encourage one another, to serve, to pray. There's a constant calling occurring on your life to minister. And as we're in this current national emergency, God is calling on you to minister. Um, These disruptions that we have with coronavirus uh, will cause us to perhaps have people that fall through the cracks. Um, We're going to need your ministry more than ever because I think you guys are all aware, you have friends or maybe even yourself, fear can take over and the enemy can take advantage of that and he can scatter God's people. And we rely normally so much on Sunday morning uh, ministry that we're going to need all of you guys to reach out to one another, to do that one another ministry throughout the whole week. And so I just challenge you right here from the beginning to call somebody from the church every day. Uh, Pick a person that you're going to call from the church every single day. And if you guys need phone numbers, I have them. I actually texted a hundred of you guys today. And so um, I have all those phone numbers. So let me know the numbers you need. Think about people, older people perhaps. Think about a single people. Um, Think about people that are more prone to anxiety, uh, to fear, and reach out to them. You're called to ministry. And maybe this is God's way of waking us up to do things for one another that we should have been doing all along, right? So we're called to ministry. And yet we all, like Moses, resist God's calling, don't we? Um, We're going to see that it's actually some of the same reasons that we give for resisting the call to ministry are the same ones that Moses has here. So let's look at the excuses he has. Let's look at the way he resists. And then let's have God work on our hearts and actually break down our own resistances to ministry. Let's look at some of the excuses here. Moses is full of excuses in chapter 3 and 4, which you guys have already read of Exodus. Um, And it reminds me as I'm thinking about Moses here, have you guys ever been, I mean, I'm sure you have, been on jury duty, and you go into that part where everybody gives their reasons they can't serve, and they get more and more ridiculous as you go along? That is really the flavor that I see here in chapter 3 and 4. He starts with kind of a reasonable one, and then gets more and more ridiculous as it goes. His first excuse is in Exodus 3.10. Take a look at it. First excuse is, who am I? God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh and you will bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Um, there, There might be an actual, a little bit of real humility going on here. Have you guys ever thought that before when you think about ministry? Have you ever thought, well, who am I to do that? Somebody else should do it, right? Who am I to share Christ? Who am I to correct this brother or sister? Who am I to counsel some other person? Or who am I to comfort this grieving person? We can often think, like, who am I? Just like Moses did. What's God's answer? Look at verse 12. He says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. God's saying, it's really me, not you, by the way. I had this mentor, dear mentor of mine, Will Wyatt. He went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago. But I remember very distinctly, and I have a terrible memory, but I remember very distinctly at breakfast one time, he goes, you know what, Eric? He goes, you don't do ministry. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's fine. And he goes, you don't do ministry. He says, God does ministry. And sometimes he does it through you. I was like, that's the perspective, right? That's what God's saying to Moses here. He's saying that sometimes you do ministry and I do it through you. You're not called to it. You're called to have me minister through you. So that's his first excuse. Second one is in verse 13. And the excuse really that Moses gives here is, I don't know enough. 
Okay, so take a look at verse 13 of of Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He's basically saying, like, I can't do this because I don't know enough, right? I don't know enough to do ministry. And then God really quickly goes, I got you there, right? Look at verse 14. God says, I am who I am. And then he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This it, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. And so God's basically to Moses like, Okay, so your excuse is you don't know enough? Okay, now you know enough. And guys, isn't it amazing how little you actually have to know to share Christ with people? You actually don't have to know a whole lot. And you don't really have to know a whole lot to serve another brother or sister. Now, we should always be learning, and we're a very brainy crowd. So we, we want to get equipped and all that. But we shouldn't wait till we're equipped. You actually don't have to know very much. So that's his second excuse. And the first excuse, who am I? Second one, I don't know enough. Third one is, they won't believe me. You know, it just keeps going on and on. So Exodus 4.1, Moses answers, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What's interesting here is that uh, Moses is desperate, right? Moses is desperately trying to refuse the calling of God. He's like, Lord, this just won't work. They won't listen to me. And so the Lord wants to remove that excuse too. And so he goes and he shows them three different signs that he can do. One's the, the staff turning into the snake and then back into a staff. The other one's the leprous hand that he puts in and brings out and it's healed. And then the last one is the water from the Nile turned to blood. Take a look at verse two. We've got this snake to staff thing. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. That part's funny. Um, But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. That would take a lot of courage. Um, So that he took out his hand and he caught it and the staff became stiff and it turned into a staff again. The snake turned into a staff. And then he said um, that... Uh, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he throws the staff on the ground, it becomes a snake, and he tells him to grab by the tail, and it like stiffens up, firms up back into a staff again that he can just walk away with. And you think like, what's this about? What's this snake staff trick? It's cool, but what does it mean? And I was thinking about what this thing might mean, and um, if you I think we can answer it this way. Look at that chapter, chapter four, and you guys have already read it, but um, what other thing hardens in that chapter? The only other thing that hardens in chapter four is in verse 21, and it's Pharaoh. I I think what this is, I think this is actually a symbol of Pharaoh himself, snake being a common symbol of the Pharaohs. And so what's going to happen, God is saying, is that you're going to go to Pharaoh this serpent, this kind of seed of the serpent type person. And you're going to grab hold of him, tell him to let people go. He's going to stiffen up. He's going to harden. And he, you know what he's going to be? An instrument for God's use. That as he hardens, it's actually, he's actually going to be, an, Pharaoh's going to be an instrument in the hand of God. It's going to be an instrument for God's glory. Isn't that encouraging? Like the staff to serpent sign is a, is a sign of God's power, his sovereignty over the forces of evil which is something we see throughout Exodus. And then you've got the next one. He's got the leprous hand, so he can like, it's a neat trick. He can put his hand in, pull it out, and it's leprous. And then you stick it back in, and it's fine. He's got this kind of trick that's verses six through eight. You think about what's that? Well, it's a sign of God's power over disease. 
God is sovereign over disease. Okay, now let's back up for a second and realize, like, we didn't just like plan this passage for this week, this week. We planned this passage for this week, two months ago. God is sovereign in the fact that he ordained that we be in Exodus 4, and you're going to see there's a little bit more coming, that God has placed this in such a beautiful way. We didn't have to scramble and go like, look on the internet, like coronavirus sermons, you know, like we're just going to preach right through Exodus, and God has, has ordained it such that there's stuff here that applies to us, guys. God is sovereign over disease. We need to hear that right now, right? God is sovereign over every atom, every particle, every virus-filled droplet. God determines the length of our days for his glory and for our ultimate joy. He's not going to let us live any longer than would be perfect for his glory and our ultimate joy, right? And he's not going to let us die any sooner than would be perfect for his glory and our ultimate joy. Daniel 4.35 says this, this is Nebuchadnezzar actually, he said this, that God does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say to God's hand, uh, none can stay God's hand or say to him, what have you done? God is perfect and wise in all that he ordains. And guys, we live in a time, this week, is a perfect opportunity for us to live as peaceful witnesses of God's sovereignty. And I just want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you living as peaceful witnesses of God's sovereignty right now, this week? That's what our culture needs to see. And you have every reason to do that. I mean, your father ordains reality. Every bit of reality is ordained by God. And I would just say that's enough fuel for us to live as peaceful witnesses of God's sovereignty. And then the last trick is in verse 9. I call it a trick. It's a miracle. It's real. Um, it's a miracle. And where he actually can turn the water of the Nile um, into blood. And that's a sign of God's power over nature, which is also a theme in Exodus. And so Moses' objection is, you know, who am I? I don't know enough. Then this one is, they won't listen to me. And God says, my power is going to go with you. And so Moses is, you know, trying to, keeps on trying to escape from ministry here, and he's got a fourth excuse. It keeps going. In verse 10, take a look at it. This one is, I'm not eloquent. Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. This is after all these other things God's given him. He goes, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I want you guys to notice a theme here. The, notice the theme of Moses here is a theme of himself. Who am I? I don't know enough. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent. Do you see the theme there? You see this problem? There's a theme of me. There's a theme of I. And when we're called into some sort of ministry that we're called into every single day, that's what's going to keep us from being able to minister the way that God has us. It's going to be a theme of yourself. That's my problem. Same problem as Moses. It's like, who am I to do this? I don't know enough. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent enough. That's our problem, guys. Our problem is that we need to look at God. And so God's constantly responding to Moses saying, uh, stop looking at yourself. Look at me. Look at me. I'm going to do this. And God does that here too. He says, I'm not eloquent. And God kind of responds with, yeah, you know what? I'm sovereign over that too. Take a look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? And who's made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then he says, now therefore, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you ought to speak. So Moses is like, I'm not eloquent. And God says, it's not about you. I'm going to speak through you. And I'd like to just pause for a moment here again and just think about how absurd Moses is being here. 
Do you guys realize that Moses is being offered one of the best jobs in human history? Okay. Moses is being offered the job of being God's instrument of redemption in the Exodus. Like the Exodus, the real one, the big one, the the biggest thing in the Old Testament, right? And, And God's saying, you know, I want to use you to do this. And yet Moses resists. And yet God keeps reasoning with him. And it it almost seems like a reverse job interview, right? So it's like, God's like, I got this job for you. And he's like, ah, I'm not really qualified. I don't really want to do it. And God's like, well, it's not really about your qualifications, about me. He's like, nah, I don't think I can do it. I don't really have time for this. It's like a reverse job interview. He should be like applying. He should be giving his credentials. He's doing just the opposite. And it's crazy, guys, because God, who Moses just discovered is holy and unapproachable and yet accepts Moses as a sinner, but accepts him as his son through Christ and and even calls him into ministry, a God who is sovereign over the forces of evil and disease and and nature. And and he he gives him this mission. And, And what does Moses say? Nope. Take a look at verse 13. Verse 13 is not another excuse. Verse 13 is a flat out refusal. Okay, take a look at verse 13. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send somebody else. You know, it's not another excuse, it's a flat out refusal. And, and, and it's ridiculous, isn't it? But guys, so is ours. Our flat out refusal to be a part of God's ministry is ridiculous, right? We've been promised all the same things as Moses. We've been promised the presence of God with us, the power of God with us. We've been promised the word of God. And yet, what do we often say? Oh, Lord, send somebody else. How often have we done that? How often do we think of like some issue and we're like, oh, you know who should take care of that? God should send somebody else, you know? But he's clearly sent you, right? And the crazy thing is, is that we'll say send somebody else and we'll even call it humility when it's really defiance to God. And, and, it's, and it's turning down to this wonderful offer of ministry It's so crazy. So what's God's response? Well, God's first response is actually anger. Look at verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Um, This whole thing on anger, I think, is really important to look at because there's a lot of people that go like, you know what, the Old Testament, God's wrathful. New Testament, God's gracious. You know, different God, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, You guys know that that's a second century heresy called Marcionism, that there's a different God of the Old Testament than the New Testament. So you probably don't want to go there. Um, that's like legit heresy. But we often, you know, people will think that, and we'll even think that when we're reading it. The thing I always wonder when people say stuff like that is, have they read both? Because I'm going through Exodus, and I'm seeing grace like crazy. I mean, these two chapters, like, you know, if I were God, and you, good thing I'm not, I'd be like, I'd push the smoke button right after the second excuse. We're going to smite him, you know, like that's it. And yet God continues to be gracious. He's even gracious in the second half of the verse. So it says God's anger was kindled, but then what does it say? Look at verse 14. He goes, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he speaks well. This is God. I know he's pretty good at that, you know. Uh, Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, He'll be glad in heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. Like, God's so patient here. He's like, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to teach you how to do it. Um, And then he says, uh, he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And so there's this wonderful grace where God goes like, you know what? You don't have to go alone, but you do have to go right? You don't have to go alone, but you do have to go. Go. I love how he ends the conversation too. Look at verse 17. And take in your hand this staff with which you will do the signs. I love this. It's like in the conversation, Moses, 
you don't have to go alone, but you do have to go. Don't forget your stick. He's like, that's how he kind of ends the conversation. He's like, you know, just make sure you take your stick and get out of here. <laughs> okay. God insists. And so Moses goes. Um, take a look with me in verse 18, because I want you to, I'm going to read to you the rest of it where God, where, where God sends Moses. Now Moses is going to go down to Egypt and he's going to talk to the people and tell them what the deliverance that's going to come. But I want you guys to read along and you're going to see why. Okay. You have to watch me here. Okay, here we go. Verse 18 of chapter 4. Moses went back to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That's the last warning that he's going to give to Pharaoh. And then it says, And then the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So when he went and met at the mountain of God and kissed him, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which had been spoken to him, and all the signs that were given to him, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words of the Lord, that he had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. What I skip? I asked you guys to follow along because I'm tricking you. I skipped something. I skipped verses 24 through 26 which is one of the strangest passages in the Old Testament, okay? And I didn't skip it because I planned to skip it. I wanted you to see how it reads so much smoother without it. You know, you're like, da, 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 da. okay, here we go. In verse 24, there's something really strange going on. I want you guys to listen to this. Check this out. This is on the way to, to Egypt. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, this is Moses, and sought to put him to death. Oh, that's an interesting change. Then Zipporah took out a flint and cut off his son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him go. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay, so this reads a lot smoother without that, right? What's going on here? It's a tricky passage, not just because it's abrupt, but there's some ambiguity in the Hebrew too. So you're like, what is this? And every time we do a Bible reading plan or whatever. People are always like, what's with this? You know, that's how you know they're actually still with you. And so here's what we can say for sure. On the way to Egypt, Moses suddenly wants to kill Moses. Okay. And Moses's wife Zipporah somehow recognizes this. Maybe Pharaoh get, uh, sorry, maybe Moses gets sick or something. And she like kind of discerns like this is a judgment of God or something, but she somehow recognizes this. So Zipporah, Moses' wife, saves Moses's life by circumcising their son. Now, apparently, Moses had neglected to circumcise um, their son, and that incited God's wrath against Moses. And so Zipporah actually saved Moses' life by circumcising their son. That's what's happening here in general. You might say, like, what can we learn from this? Actually, we can learn a few things from this. First one would be, your ministry starts at home. God called Moses to lead his people, 
But more importantly, God called Moses to lead his family. Amen? Super important. Um, God had been very explicit about, uh, in the Old Testament about circumcision of all the Hebrew baby boys. It was Moses' responsibility as the head of his family, as the father, as the husband, to make sure that God's laws were kept in his home. Moses had actually failed to be a spiritual leader of his family that he was called to be. And we don't know why. We don't know if he capitulated Jethro's father-in-law or because they were Midianites, so they might have had a different view on this, or maybe to his wife. It doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter what the reason was because God doesn't accept blame shifting from husbands and fathers when they're to lead, you know? I mean, you go back to Genesis 3, God calls who? Calls Adam and says, where are you? What have you done? Uh, Men, God has called you to lead your family. He's called to lead your family in the word, in prayer, in the decisions you make. Um, And I think this passage is good to remind us that we may have left some work to our wives that was actually something that God called us to do. I think this is a very nice graphic illustration of that. Zipporah taking a flint knife and cutting the foreskin off their son and throwing it at him and saying, you're a bridegroom of blood to me is a great illustration. And as I was thinking about this, I was just thinking about how thankful I am for you fathers and dads in our church and how you take spiritual leadership seriously. I see that as a general theme in our church. It's amazing, guys, how many husbands... Um, fathers will bring their kids to church even when the rest of the family can't come. They, they take it very seriously, and it's awesome. I mean, you guys have gotten your family gathered together this morning to do this live stream. Um, you guys have been a great example to me in this area. But I think this text uh, should make us ask ourselves, do I have something I need to be taking care of at home? Okay? Have I left my wife, like Zipporah, to do some dirty work that I was called to do? Okay? Is there something that I should, have I wimped out in some way? Have I been too cowardly to leave my home and kind of relying on my wife to do it when God's called me to do it? I think this is a wonderful graphic, bloody illustration of that. Whatever you have to do at home does not require a knife, okay? Just want to be clear there. It's like, yeah, okay. And the circumcision Old Testament thing, you don't have to do that if you neglected that. Okay, moving on. But I think that this coronavirus thing, guys, could really be something that God uses to kind of point you to lead your home in a way that you didn't before. So ministry starts at home. And guys, I know that ministry at home is the hardest part, right? It's hardest to lead at home. But God's gracious and he makes the same promises of his presence and his power and his word for you to lead at home as to lead anywhere else. That ministry is real ministry and God will meet you there. Amen? So ministry starts at home. Uh, Moses can't lead God's people unless he leads at home first. But I think there's something more going on here because God was about to kill Moses, okay? So I think there's something bigger than that. What's the bigger thing? Well, what's the big deal about circumcision? Um, Abraham gave the command of circumcision back in Genesis 17, and he gave it as a sign of his covenant promise. So circumcision was this really cool illustration of both the blessing of faith and the curse that comes from faithlessness. And so circumcision was this picture, actually, of the removal of sin from our hearts. Um, God It's kind of cool because God conveniently made men with a removable body part, the foreskin, and he made that so that it could be an illustration, guys, of how God removes sin from our lives. And he removes sin from our lives painfully (laughs) with cutting, okay? And it's an illustration of that. Circumcision was a sign of God's promise to to remove the sin from our hearts. 
Um, circumcision was also a picture of how unbelievers were cut off from God's people. In Genesis 17, 14, it says that any uncircumcised man who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin would be cut off from God's people. He has broken the covenant. And we know from uh, Romans 4 that circumcision didn't save those Old Testament people, but it was a sign and seal of something spiritual. And that something spiritual, Paul says, is the righteousness that we receive by faith. And so what's the big deal here? The big deal is that when Moses refused to circumcise his son in that Old Testament time, he was effectively refusing God's covenant of grace. It's huge. It's one thing to refuse God's mission, It's another thing to refuse God's grace. And I think that's what's going on here. And I would just ask you this morning, are you refusing God's grace? Because if you are refusing God's grace, all that's left for you is God's wrath, right? I mean, and that's what was coming for Moses that night on the road, was God's wrath. But the cool thing is, guys, is that there is grace for him, and there's grace for us through Jesus Christ, the true bridegroom of blood. On the cross, Jesus Christ was cut off for us. His blood removes the wrath that our sins deserved. Uh, The blood of Jesus, the one who was cut off from his people on the cross, his blood covers all our sin. By faith, his blood, when it touches us, makes us clean. And you know what's really cool about this too is unlike Moses, Jesus wasn't a reluctant redeemer. There wasn't a conversation between the Father and the Son like, hey, you should go, I really can't, blah, blah, blah. You know, back, there was none of this, right? Um, Unlike Moses, Jesus wasn't a reluctant redeemer. Moses lacked confidence and willingness. Jesus lacked neither of those. Jesus, unlike Moses, was absolutely confident and absolutely willing to save us. On the cross, uh, about the cross, Jesus said in John 4, he said this, no one takes my life from me. Don't you love that? Jesus said that about the cross. No one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He says, I do it of my own accord. Don't you love that? I love that passage. I just feel like Jesus is so manly in that passage in just such a wonderful way. He's like, no one's taking my life from me. I'm doing this all of my own accord. Guys, Jesus, the true bridegroom of blood, was willingly cut off for you. And that same willing, confident redeemer lives in you now. Right? The theological term for that is union with Christ. That your willingness and your confidence to ministry comes from Jesus living inside you. And guys, we live in a truly historic moment. I think, you know, all the talk of toilet paper and stuff has maybe kind of blurred the fact that you live in a very unusual time in history. We're living in a time when people need to be pointed to Christ. So, like, this is a pandemic. It's not like a pandemic. It is a pandemic. And if you're waiting for a really good time to do some evangelism, like you were like, hey, I'm going to kind of wait till things get real, like this is a good time. This would be a great time to give people Christ, right? I don't know, maybe you're like holding out, you're like, well, let's wait a little longer. Let's see what else can happen. This is a great historic time to share Christ. The time is now, right? Hopefully people are seeing that their life is a vapor and that their days are numbered, right? Give them Christ. And you might say to yourself, well, who am I? You know, like Moses did. Paul said this, asked the same thing in 2 Corinthians 2. He said that we Christians spread a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we're a fragrance of death to death. To another, we're a fragrance of life to life. And then Paul asked this, who's sufficient for these things? I love that question. Like, who's sufficient for these things? 
And his answer comes in the next chapter. He says, such is our confidence that we have through Christ. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient by his spirit. Amen? Amen. Your confidence and your willingness to minister come from Christ living through you. And so I think you should ask yourself, how is God calling you to minister this week? How is God calling you to minister to your neighbors? You know, I think we could all get a little inward and thinking about ourselves and, you know, we like, we know how to chill at home, you know, we get our Netflix and YouTube and do all our stuff. How is God calling you to miss your neighbor? How about to your neighbor? How about an offer of toilet paper? How about you take a roll of toilet paper to your neighbor and give them the gospel? Not on the toilet paper, like separately. But wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be a display of love? I mean, think about that. Our deacons are going to put together some plans where we could actually mobilize. A lot of you are, you know, I'm still going to work, um, but a lot of you are off work. You have time. You have a desire to help. It's going to be great for you to band together with the deacons, but like start in your neighborhood. How can I pray for you? Here's a roll of my precious toilet paper. Some of you guys have like four months stocked away, so you could totally give this, right? Um, how are you being called to minister to somebody at your work? I mean, call if you're staying at home or you're going there. Call and check on them. Text them. Maybe send them something on the gospel and say, hey, I think this message would encourage you. You know, just let me know if you need anything. This would be a great time to do that, guys, and it would be super countercultural. Even if they're not a Christian, send them something about the gospel and just say, hey, I think this might encourage you. You'd be surprised what God does with that. Uh, maybe to somebody in this church. I mean, talk to somebody from our church every day. Think of people that need to be reached out to as we're not able to gather in our normal Sunday meeting. How about somebody at home that you need to minister to? I want to give a word to you parents that I think would be really helpful. I've talked to a lot of you guys this week. And it's funny because, you know, when I'm talking to you guys, you'll alternate between, like, complete denial and panic. And so, like, I talk a lot, oh, it's no big deal. There's nothing here. And I'm like, well, I think there's something here. And then there's a switch, like you deny, deny, deny. And as soon as the switch happens, there's no denial. The next step is screaming in the streets. Like there's, it's weird. We don't have it in between. We don't have like a, yeah, this is serious, but we're going to, it's like denial or panic. And one of the things I'm hearing from some of you is that your kids are really afraid. And if your kids are afraid, I think you really need to think about what you're saying to them, how you're acting in front of them. And I have a word for you. It's from Justin Taylor. He said this, one of the greatest gifts a leader can give his people around him is a sense of calm, joyful, humble confidence. Anxiety is contagious. This is from like 10 years ago. He said that one of the greatest gifts a leader can give people around him is a sense of calm, joyful, humble confidence. Anxiety is contagious. Are you doing that? You, you have all the resources in God's word to do that. Guys, our leader, Jesus, is not anxious. He's not on the throne anxious. He's not, you know, doing excessive hand sanitizing or anything like that. He is sovereign over all things. He is offering us a role in his mission. He will be with us, he promises. He will speak through your mouth. You don't have to go alone, but you do have to go. Don't forget your staff. <laughs> take it with you. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. So if you guys have your elements for the Lord's Supper, get those ready. And we're going to take it together, so don't, don't jump the gun. The cue will be, I'll do it, and then you'll know when to do it. We're going to take it together. This is one of the cool ways that doing it as a live stream maintains the gathering together thing, because we could just send you a video, but like we're taking communion together. Um, and so 
In the Lord's Supper, we remember and receive. We remember the great love of God through the bread, which symbolizes Christ's body, and the cup, this symbolizes his blood. And we receive. We receive real spiritual food through our union with Christ. So because we're united with Christ by the Holy Spirit, when we take the Lord's Supper, he makes Christ present and refreshing to our souls. He feeds us in some way. It's wonderful. The Lord's Supper is for all those who trust in Christ. So if you have received the grace of Christ for your forgiveness of sin and for him to free you more and more from the power of sin, then we'd ask you to take it with us. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, take, eat. This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup of wine that had been given to him and he gave thanks And he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's now do likewise. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you to preserve you body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Let's take the bread together. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you to preserve you body and soul unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance of Christ's blood and that it was shed for you and be thankful. Let's take the cup. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion on the way. Kindle our hearts. Awaken our hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and in the breaking of this bread. Grant this for the sake of your love and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.